Welcome to Level Up Academy, the podcast that's dedicated to the higher education community that brings you countless stories of employees, students, and faculty's journey in this remote world we live in. We are expanding our podcast to business leaders and community experts who are sharing their story and adversity that each one of us experienced to inspire and inform our world. This is your host, Dr. Leland, a serial educator, an opportunities designer, and a compassionate leader. Hello, Level Up listeners. This is Dr. Leland. Thank you so much for tuning in to Level Up Academy today. Today, it's actually a very special conversation with Miss Sandy Hart, and you will hear her in the moment and my conversation with her during our podcast, but it is actually a conversation that expands, okay, live on YouTube and LinkedIn this Monday, December 12, 3.30 p.m. PST or 6.30 p.m. EST. Conversation is all about leadership. How should we lead today? What are the types of leadership skills that leaders should have in today's world of business when competition is no longer within your zip code, but it is the world that you're competing in terms of jobs due to remote work. So after you listen to today's episode of Level Up, I hope to see you on LinkedIn. If you are not already, find Constance Leland and you will find me. And again, it is a free event. I will have three other business leaders that have been leading over 30 years. Our combined experience within this conversation is 100 years or more. So if you would like to know more about quiet quitting, please tune in on Monday. I will see you soon. Bye-bye. Hello, Level Up listeners. This is Dr. Leland from Level Up Academy. Today, I have Miss Sandy Hart. Sandy, welcome to Level Up. I'm delighted to be here, Constance. Thank you for having me. Awesome. I wanted to kind of look back how we met and what have you been doing for the last 10 years of your life? Oh, my gosh. How did we meet? We met at the Charter for Compassion Women and Girls sector. I started the sector when I noticed there was no place for women and girls in this global organization talking about compassion and compassion on healthcare and restorative justice and, and the environment and science and research and all these all the sectors of society, religion and spirituality, but there was no space for women. And I was a volunteer and I said, what about the women? And they basically gave me a blank slate to develop a a sector for women and girls on this international platform. And I did, and I developed it in the spirit of feminine leadership, horizontal leadership, shared leadership. And that meant bringing in ambassadors and the voices of many women. And that's, and then entered you. And then I know know you're on our committee and uh, you contributed greatly to that. I love it. I love the fact that we're doing it in a global scale because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter which culture you come from. What I think what we have together is the ability to 
have emotions and have our skills be heard rather than suppressed, right? So that's good. Uh, talk to me about leadership. I'm super interested. You've gone, I mean, you've done so many leadership activities in your life. Like, what about leadership that you like the most? Well, you know, I it, it's I, it, a lot of it has to do with my personality, right? It's not who I am, it's my personality. And my personality is to take the lead. And I was the director of sales and marketing for a major home builder. You know, I've, I, I was, you know, pretty successful salesperson um, and in my own right. And I like being out there. Right. And then 9-11 happened and my um, my entire DNA reconfigured. And I discovered that I was a lot more spiritual than I thought I was. And yet those leadership qualities were still very much a part of my personality. And so one of my favorite things, and it's so apropos to the work that I've been doing for the last 20 years, is women's interfaith leadership or women's leadership in general. And all of the work that I have done has revolved around the, the world of spirituality or re religion and diverse faith traditions, women in all of these sectors, or women in compassion, you know, women who conform to their higher and their deeper value systems. And then it dawned on me, well, why should this be different than the corporate world? Why should this be different from the academic world? Why should this be different from, you know, any other sector of society? Why aren't we all conforming to our higher and our deeper value systems when we make decisions that impact our department, impact our bottom line, right? And um, and so I started looking at the conditions of feminine leadership because that's really what I, I found myself in. And by the way, I didn't just, it, I didn't wake up to this. I, 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 I studied a lot of the women that I've followed, a lot of the women that have inspired me. And but in that in that inspiration, I discovered my own voice. And for me, that is what a leader does. Like you said, it's so important for us all to find our own voice and to be heard. So how do we what a good leader provides an environment where all voices can be heard and considered and that everyone feels valued. And 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 it's for me. I started looking at why I wasn't doing that or why that condition exists where it doesn't happen. And, you know, I, I, I came to a couple of pretty significant reasons. I follow the root system of them all, and they all lead to fear, fear of not making the bottom line, fear of not making your, your shareholders happy, fear of, of um, looking weak, yet it, which is polar opposite of what the results really are. Because when everybody's happy at the bottom line or at the grass at the grassroots or at the lower levels, it trickles up, right? And it impacts major corporations. Major corporations have already done this study. Um, you don't need to hear it from me. But a good leader has to get out of their own way sometimes and check their ego at the door. Yeah. Yeah. I think <clears throat> I like that you're actually saying that. I was reflecting. <laughs> I was just talking to you five minutes ago about this uh, mindset shifts that I was posting. Uh, when was it? Four days ago, I posted it. I was kind of feeling down, actually, going through some personal stuff right now. And I said, you know, 
I'm going to self-reflect and just post it out there. And Tanmay Vora, if you guys don't follow him already, he is a good, I mean, an excellent sketch note artist. He puts all the whole thing in just visual. I'm a visual and I'm literally a kinesthetic learner. I, I like visual and also like looking at things and hands-on. Right. And I literally talk about making sure that, you know, we all want to be heard. We all want to be seen. But at the end of the day, what actually are you doing to change within your community? Mm. And that's why I love about our relationship when we were doing women and girls, because we had meeting where we talk about people's journey and people's stories. And through those stories and through those adversity, you learn about yourself what your weaknesses are, what your strengths are, or what you're passionate about. And I've always been passionate about volunteering. I've always been passionate about women and girls. I've always been passionate about things, but I didn't, I wasn't intentional. It was like, I'm all over the place, right? But I think when you introduce, like I'm reflecting right now in this conversation, when you introduce that type of group and that type of leadership, I felt welcome because A, it was people all over. It wasn't just women either. There were men in there too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that they actually contributed to the conversation about women from their own perspective so we could understand how certain men also feel the same way as we did. But at the end of the day, we needed something that's actionable. So what are we doing? Okay, we recognize we feel this way. But what are we doing today to actually compensate or even eliminate? I'm sure we can't eliminate everything, but at least put it out there so we can have a conversation with it. And I think you gave that platform for everyone to do. So I want to continue that for sure. And I, that's why I did my Level Up podcast. It's because people only see the outcome, right? What what the outcome is at the end of the a day. Like you said, everything is a bottom line. Everything is number. But I feel like after COVID and still technically we're still in COVID, that people, organizations, are, and employees really are asking, you know, it's not about just the numbers. It's actually about the people that you are working with. If they are happy, just like you said, it trickles up. You will see that outcome. You will see that number. But how the how part is, I think, what leaders today need to know. How do we take action on this how part? What are your thoughts on that? Right. You know, so you had started the conversation by asking what I've been doing for the last 10 years. And what I've been doing for the last two years, or at least a year and a half, is I wrote the book, The Liminal Odyssey. And the reason why that was, for me, such a profound, profound conversation to have, especially right now, when you're talking about leveling up at a personal level, because it all starts at the personal level, right? That when I learned what this word liminal meant, Liminal. It's a clunky word to say, isn't it? <laughs> Liminal. Yeah. But get used to hearing it because it's going to be a part of a lexicon. And I'm hearing it more and more every day. Architects have used this word liberally for a long time, as a matter of fact, because they describe liminal as the space in between, like a hallway, a staircase. But it's not just the hallway or the staircase. It's what we do in those spaces. It's the space between crisis and action, between being triggered and how you respond, between between um, having a deadline laid on your desk and how who you know, or, or getting some bad news that came from a certain department. You know, however you can identify something unpleasant happening in your day. What is the time we're taking 
in that moment, in that liminal space and expanding it and looking into it and practicing some skills. Now, I just have to preface this all by saying when I was writing the book, I really set out to write a personal story about this experience I had in 1982. That was a wild experience. My friends have been urging me for about 15 years to write this story, but I didn't have enough of a story to write until I heard this word liminal. And as soon as I did, I started dissecting what was going on inside of me in that moment because I had a calling and I took action and I started a movement of 100,000 people and that lasted all day long. And so the, the, the moment between here and there not only was just a moment, it expanded to this wide gaping oh, Grand Canyon of what was going on inside of me. And, and so before I knew it, more interesting stories that had happened to me started pouring out that I had otherwise misunderstood as mundane or inconsequential, but I started seeing the magic in that and, and those stories too, through the liminal lens. And then I took out, I, I started looking at what conditions, what skills were prevalent in me. What had I learned up to that point that made it possible for me to have that experience? Those skills were reverent listening, learning the sacred art of listening. There's a beautiful poem that goes, to listen another soul into a condition of discovery and disclosure may almost be the greatest service any one human being ever performs for another. But imagine what happens when we listen somebody into their own condition of discovery and disclosure. And what happens when I listen closely to what's going on in me in that same reverence. So sacred listening is important. Understanding the trust frequency, what conditions are, available, are, are necessary to really understand the trusting universe. Mindfulness, well, we can come back and talk about my, you know, shifting mindset, which involves questioning assumptions, checking our attitude, practicing things that create new neural pathways so we form new habits, and healing generational trauma. You know, all the things that help us kind of clean the slate of what's the baggage we're carrying, right? As soon as we start clearing the baggage, we can see that small ego, you know, not the big, you know, we can see that ego, that one that frothed in systems of domination, <laughs> you know, the, the ego that says I'm better and I'm higher. I have an old, a higher office, I have a better title, I have a bigger car, you know, you, you know, and I'm the boss, you know, what the reality is your people make the bottom line, right. And make you look good. So you want to make them look good. So all those things that prevent us from being really comfortable in that space, really comfortable letting others, their voices be heard, really comfortable listening to ourselves and taking the time and not being afraid. But those skills have to be practiced in advance of needing them. And I think that that is one of the greatest disservices we have had thus far. I have a bookshelf with 300 books and each one of them is a different methodology or modality to becoming a better me. Right. But I tend and I've read them all, but I don't practice them on a daily basis. So they create those new neural pathways. So what happens when we practice all of the things that we know in advance and we find a way to practice them? And I have a really great practice I can share with you. Then our, they become part of our personality. They become part of our operating system. 
what we don't even know it, they're showing up for us, right? We are automatically finding more time in our day than we thought we would ever have. We are automatically becoming better listeners, not only to others, but to our body we, and to ourselves and to our soul. We are, we are automatically noticing patterns of our behavior that come out of our ancestral trauma that we don't need to carry anymore. Ancestors don't want that from, for us. Why would we? Why do our seven general? I don't want to give this to my kids and my grandkids. Heavens no. So I better heal it right now. All of the condition that shows up is what Gary Zukov of, uh, he wrote Seed of the Soul, what he talks about when he talks about the multisensory perception, when all of these conditions show up, there's a coherence. And that's how we start healing. That's how we start healing ourselves. That's how we start becoming better leaders. That's how we start showing up in our own lives. And it almost happens in record time. It's, it is miraculous. I'm actually excited and I'm like smiling over here because as you were saying a lot, I'm all yeah, over the No, world. no, because I actually, okay, I've been teaching for what, 10 years now um, in higher ed and three and a half years back in uh, K to 12. Literally my youngest, I think student is four years old and my oldest is 74. And I learn so much from everyone. And I love it because I surround myself with people who are smarter than me like yourself. So I learn a lot, you know, and it's inspiration. And I listen because I want to know more. It, like you said, it's a personality thing. I just want to know more. And when you were talking about neuroplasticity, and that's what I've been preaching. And I literally created a class called Managing Your Boss. And it's it's in it's it's in the works right now. I'm putting my website together, but it's four weeks. It's one month course, and literally it, the first one is about learning your learning your learning style, so you know what your weaknesses and strengths are. Then it's about critical thinking, right? And all comes with it. Then it's all about communication skills, and part of that is listening, and writing, and communicating. Right. And then the third one was about or the fourth one is about mindset change. And it's about neuroplasticity and making everything a habit. And so when you were talking about that, I'm like, I have a class for that, Sandy. Yeah. <laughs> I wish yeah. I put you in there and could give me feedback. Um, I did put it out there. I had feedback from so many people. So I know what kind of things that I need to add and change in there. But I'm, I was excited when you said that. I'm like, yeah, I want to hear more because of that now. In your lifetime, well, till 20 years ago when you started this journey, what have you really learned to say? I Did you say, I want to make a change for the world? Or did you say, I just want to make changes within my community? How did you say, the? I mean, how did you see the difference or was there any difference at all? You know, I it, it was really profound and it was both. It was the morning of 9-11. I had two middle school kids, you know, and I was about to send them off to school and I didn't know what to do with them. But right before I'm kind of contemplating what's going on in the world right now, nobody knew what was going on. You know, I'm in Southern California at the time. So it was early morning. I heard gather women. So I didn't really have a choice in the matter. It wasn't anything. I just was, you know, had an idea. Of, I wasn't inspired by anything, but an internal combustion, you know, an awakening, you know, of the, of the shock and the, the catalytic shock of what was going on in our country. 
And I'm very sensitive to the fact that in the United States, we don't have the catalytic shock that some countries get regularly. All right. So I want to be very clear that I'm very sensitive to that and how privileged we are in this country that one major thing has happened in 20 years. And before that, it was 60 years with Pearl Harbor. But other than that, you know, we have, you know, enjoyed not having those sort of traumatic experiences. There are tiny little traumas that happen all over our country. Don't get me wrong. And they're significant. But when I'm saying that the catalytic shock of seeing what happened on 9-11 for me was um, was my wake up call. And I heard gather the women. And all I knew was my community. And for the first 10 or 15 years, we were significant community leaders. Um, we were the mothers of our community and we were interfaithful because I didn't know I'm Jewish. I didn't know what I'm supposed to do with my kids that day. I didn't know what was going on. I hadn't yet known who it was. But as soon as I heard that it was Islamic terrorists, I wondered what are Muslim women doing with their kids today? I had to go find Muslim women and ask them how they were doing and how, you know, what could I do? Because I can't imagine that having been an assault on the entire race of Judaism, let alone what's happened to Islam. And so in that, you know, in that moment of history here in this country. And so when COVID happened for us, because it did in that way. And again, I'm sorry for those who have lost loved ones and the devastations COVID has brought us. Collectively, it has brought the benefit for Sarah that we were able to go global because we were forced online. Spiritual and religious lines for hope. And so because of that, we've brought online programming and to hear the voices of women globally on all critical areas of concern. I don't remember your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, no, I, I, I like that, that actually we talked about spirituality because a lot of people don't want to talk about it and because there's different religion, right? There's way too many different religion. That's why the conversation doesn't really do that. To me, it's like there's really one religion, just helping other people be be there for somebody when you can or whenever you can. And that's to me is where it is doesn't matter what you're believed in it's a matter of like are you helping me or are you creating me something else with my feelings that I feel unheard and like that's really how I'm feeling when you say that but have what is right now with your book like how do you approach leading others well I, I really focus on the self I really do because leading others comes through inspiration right? How am I going to inspire somebody? If I stand up on a mountaintop and I say, come this way, walk this way, be like me, here's my wisdom, consider it. I would be a major hypocrite if I weren't living it myself. But when I live in that direction, when I show up with my language, when I show up with my actions, when I show up with my behavior in the world, that is the greatest, greatest leadership that I can give anybody. You mentioned language, and I think that's really, really important. And I'm, can I share with you a really cool practice? Yeah. On that? I wonder yeah. if it's someone use. I don't know, I just it kind of dreamed it up. And it came to me when 
when I was thinking about the impeccability of words, which is one of the chapters, being impeccable with our language, being absolutely clear because our words are thoughts manifested, right? I have a mm-hmm. thought, I say it. How careful am I with my thoughts and how responsible am I, am I with my words? So I started thinking about this word, just. And it works the same way with the word, but, B-U-T, or just, J-U-S-T. Try taking just, J-U-S-T, out of your language when you're writing it, when you're saying it. Notice how often, unless you're using it in terms of for justice, the word just minimizes what you're about to say. Just like but can discount what you just said, right? I love you, but mm-hmm. you know, replace that Condition. with that. Huh? <laughs> yeah, there's conditions. Yeah, exactly. So we try replacing the word but with the word yet, Y E T. Like, because I love you, yet I'd like to make another point here. You know, I mean, these are the simplest mundane, you might say two little words to kind of work on replacing or paying attention to because that creates neural pathways of awareness of our language. Notice how often you say it because again, let's be impeccable with our words. There's a, there's, you know, the word abracadabra, abracadabra, you know, what the, um, you know, magicians, you know, abracadabra in the flip of the wrist, abracadabra, is the actual comes from the Hebrew or Aramaic derivation for I I create as I speak. This is what being impeccable with our words is about. And it's one of the most important things I think that we can do as individuals because our children are watching us. Our children are listening. Our friends are paying attention. When we assume the role of being in our full integrity, and I don't mean that in a judgy way, I mean that in a a wholeness, to mean wholeness, like the chair that's holding me has got its integrity, right? It's holding me up. So that's how I know that I'm in my integrity when I'm using my words carefully. And there are some words that have to be, you know, coined, like I coined the word timeful. And uh, to, to mean, you know, we know how to be mindful, but are we being timeful to stop in between our thoughts? I actually was thinking about you when you say that, because I was talking to one of the vice president of education and it's called Dreambox Learning. And she's been, oh, yeah. and she basically said that women can be either mentors or tormentors. <laughs> And she's like, I'm going to write the book. I'm like, I'm going to buy that book because I want to know what's happening. Um, I wish I did have a mentor and I didn't. It was really difficult for me. And that's why I give back through mentorship on three different other people from GEMS to GMI to join the journey. Um, Right now, I'm actually starting my own mentorship program as well because we need it. We need different perspective. Like think about having, you know, my experience, limited experience in 25 years versus yours plus two more women, we could hit 100 years in just one setting out of experiences. Why wouldn't you want that? Right. And so I think it's the women sometimes they compete too much. And I'm like, I want to create a world and believe that there's women out there that would want to help each other elevate rather than compete, compete, because there's nowhere to go. We're just not going anywhere with it. We need to be able to 
be there for each other, right? And so I have started some small ways of making sure that I have a group of women that we just discuss about business and mentorship and helping others. And we don't just do women either, but we prefer if we would get women and girls to also be mentored on that. So that's why I'm like, oh, Sandy, start it again. <laughs> start it again. We'll be there because I really think that your leadership skills need to be out there like the way you m people like myself feel included in the conversation with my limited experience at that time even on that capacity inspired me to do more without you knowing it hmm. oh that well that makes that tickles me and makes me feel good and and it's there, you know, that this reminds me of a couple of things and something you were saying about women supporting women, you know, we are nature, right? When we accept the fact that we are nature embodiment, look at our, 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 our blood flow and in, in concert with the moon, right? The 28 day cycle and, yeah. and our, what our body is capable of birthing in a human being, right? We yeah. are nature. And when we honor and accept that, suddenly our shoulders get pulled back, our chin goes up, we take a deep breath and we feel that much more empowering. Look at the cues from nature we have. Look at trees. Did you know that trees communicate with each other, right? And when one tree near another tree is dying, the nearby trees will send through the root system nutrients to support it. This is what women can be doing for one another. We need each other. We have been duped by patriarchy's charms. And I don't mean male patriarchy because women have conditions of patriarchy. It's the systems of domination. But it comes, of course, from the gendered male originally. And of course, the father knows best culture and um, and the burning times. And before that, you know, the agrarian age where we learned to our humanity learned to um, to nurture the soil and make and commoditize the earth. So. Mm -hmm. While we're, while we're planting seeds, we're seeing something better comes from those seeds. Now I can take those seeds and turn them into commerce. And now I'm the stronger and, and I and one, and I'm going to do the commerce. I'm going to hold the purse strings. Women are birthing babies. Of course, we need to stay home and take care of the children and protect our communities. But the balance of value came, went way off kilter about that time. Now, not all cultures followed suit. There were egalitarian societies unearthed in early Mesopotamia, which is like Turkey area, where there were no signs of warfare and women and men were living in an egalitarian society. Oh, go figure, right? Yeah. And then we're going to talk things out. This is our biological innate imperative as women is to release the hormone oxytocin. Yeah. That's like, okay, I'm, 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 I'm shocked. I'm sad. I'm going to pick up the phone and call my girlfriend or I'm going to gather women. Um, or, or, you know, this yeah. is our biological imperative. Men respond by releasing testosterone, which is fight, flight, or freeze. Right. And so it's just who we are and it's fine that we are, we honor this, but it's what we do with it. That yeah. Matters. The action is what matters, right? Exactly. Um, 
What do you think leaders can do to promote success in their teams? We talked about, you know, being there for them. And so when you say, I, I actually love the language conversation. How can we implement those language conversation? You said, uh, just, what do we replace just with? I know we said, but is yet. Well, what do we replace just? Take it out completely. Just zero it out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want my voice to be heard. I just want my voice to be heard. No, I want my voice to be heard, <laughs> right? Just try taking it out. I can't think of a scenario that it doesn't work. It's just a comfortable word to say. It's just sort of a buffer word, but yeah. try practicing taking it out because it's not so much about that word just, right? I mean, sometimes it is because it makes us realize, wow, I'm okay with who I am. I'm realizing how much I discount myself. It's what it's the mirror it reflects back onto us. Mm. Why are we using that word? Yeah. Randy actually mentioned that when she mentors uh, women or people in her team, she does say, take a word, you know, don't say I'm just this. I'm just that. And we all do it. I, I'm actually smiling because I'm like, yeah, I use that a lot. You know, like I'm going to practice that. Sandy said, I have to do it. I'm going to But to answer your question, what can we do to inspire, you know, a more successful team? Yeah. Is be a team. (laughs) You know, be a team. Let those with the skills in the areas they love to do. My husband is one of the winningest soccer coaches, you know, in AYSO. At the time, our daughter went through college and all the bigger league soccer and he also did too he he actually played on the same team the same college she played on the same college as him so there's we're a big soccer family but when he was coaching you know um AYSO soccer you know little league soccer if you will um he would always ask the girls what position do you want to play not you're tall you're going to play goalie and you're short or you're fast you're gonna you know play offense um he asked them where were they happiest and and that's why his he was a winningest coach. And I remember once my daughter was the tallest and she went on to be a goalkeeper at university, um, D1 and D2. She um, but but in that I remember that one season, the goalkeeper was like the tiniest girl on the team and we they still won. So, you know, it's just like and my daughter that year wanted to play a forward. So, you know, inspire the bring out the best in your team by asking them, letting them know they've been heard. And also think about the cost of not having a happy employee. Mm-hmm. What's the cost on human resources to replace that person, right? And, um, and then retraining another person, then having this revolving door and the time you take to retrain. I mean, you can just do the math and see it's just easier to honor people for who and what they are and let them feel like they're part of a team. Like they matter, they're an integral part, they're valued. And and that's how I've done everything wherever I worked. Yeah, I feel like human human nature, we like to solve problems even if there isn't one and we just offer. <laughs> I don't know. That's just my reflection. Like even I tend to do that and I back out. I'm like, CJ, they really don't want your opinion. They just want you to listen, you know? And so... I have to like shut my mouth. I'm like, okay, I'm not solving a problem today. I'm not a listener. I'm just here, right? I'm just here because I want to learn. Part of learning is listening. Stop talking, you know, and just be quiet for a minute. Maybe you'll learn something. 
And I think that's human nature for us to always try to solve problems and offer opinions, even if when you're not asked. And so I think for me as, as leader is like what you said is if you want to know, just ask, be curious rather than saying you should be doing this because in my experience, da, 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 right. Your husband didn't do that. They, he literally asked, what do you want to do? I heard this great quote, the most important thing I could hear, because I have an adult daughter <laughs> and that in the quote is unsolicited advice is criticism. I'm like, wow, that's true. It really is, you know, but asking a question is another thing. And then what you mentioned about listening, um, I, every chapter of my book is anchored in a particular skill. And in chapter one, I talk about the quality of listening, which made that experience in 1982 amongst 100,000 people really possible. And I didn't even know it was alive in me, but I'd since learned about the sacred art of listening. And I talked about Dr. Uh, Reverend Kay Lindahl. She um, wrote the, the book, The Sacred Art of Listening. And I talk a lot about the, you know, research on how often, how well we really listen. Only 17% of our day is, is given to an intentive listening. 50% of that isn't even remembered. Right. So it is a skill and a muscle to cultivate. And the book has some, you know, it has some practices. But the, I think one of the first things I learned when I got into circles of women, and that was after 9-11, when I finally did convene a living room full of women and we were sitting in circle and we learned circle principles along the way is to listen for understanding allow a pregnant pause after someone's spoken, right? Because, and, and of course it's uncomfortable silence and you have a cadence in your team and what have you. So you set the parameters if this is comfortable for you in your work environment or your circle environment, whatever it is. But if you think of your boardroom as a circle, everything flows. Create, and what you want to do is create a safe environment because when, you're, when people are safe, they get creative. And when they're creative, they get excited. And when they're excited, everybody's happy, right? And so you want to create that. And, and, and also you create new creative, you, the creativity brings new ideas. And isn't that what we all want? New ways of looking at things. Yeah. And also the safety of that at that table or in that circle or wherever, or on your team, however you convene, is trust creating a condition of trust and setting some protocol for recognizing, hey, I don't feel very safe on this team because every time I say something, Anne over there talks over me and I just shut up. Well, I don't want to shut up because I've got a lot of creativity to share. So we got to fix that thing between me and Anne, you know, or, you know, so calling things out when they happen too is really important in a with the intention in a good way, right? Do it in a way that's continuous peace. improvement, <laughs> not continuous personal improvement, attack. Not criticism. Yeah. yeah. But to say, hey, I'm not feeling safe to share. And these are not words that are used in the corporate environment. Safe, harmonious, you know, mm -hmm. I get that. 
-hmm. I really do. But whatever yeah. word you have to use, or maybe it's time to start introducing, you know, bringing those words in. As soon as somebody, because we all go home and use these words, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go complain to my spouse because I didn't feel safe in that board meeting, but I would never say to my boss, I don't feel safe, right? Yeah. So like you, you said, know. you're going to feel weak. They're going to think of you like, oh, she's so weak. She's so drama or she's on this victim role instead of just saying, OK, how can we make her feel safe? That way she can lead better. I wrote an article called The Problem of Women. And the, the whole article is the problem of women in America. But it's the problem of women. Oh, she's a problem because she's got this issue, right? She can't work it out herself. No, of course I can. I need a moderator and we need to have a safe conversation. So there's no mechanism, no system in place for that. You can create that and you can reach out to me. I have a, I have a, at Sarah, we developed, oh, we had it at the Charter for Compassion too, Protocol for Reconciliation, which is founded in indigenous wisdom. Yeah. And I love those conversations and meetings when I hear the indigenous women and their journey and they're so like their knowledge just makes you feel grounded when you have that conversation. It doesn't, like I said, it doesn't matter your religion or your culture. It's just that the conversation, the journey attracts me because I could see myself in certain situation, obviously not a hundred percent, but I could see this, you know, I can weave through all that information and it inspires me to like be a better human. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to be a better human today. I do want to end the conversation with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Yeah. I watched an interview with him and it was a live interview. It was, he was so cute. But he said, change begins within you. Use compassion to change your world and ultimately our world. So Sandy, my question is, how do you hope to change the world? by changing myself, by alchemizing the, the things that don't work for me anymore, by questioning assumptions, by showing up with the power that I have, my buying power, my voting power, my um, power to influence. And even if it's at the supermarket at the check stand or on a global webinar or when I'm writing a book, no matter how I show up in the world, I have to be impeccable and true to my calling. I'm going to sum up that, that question with this answer, actually. I hope to save the world by living into my divine assignment, my calling, what I'm here to do, what only I can do. You can't do what I can do, and I can't do what you can do, right? So everybody, discover where do your passions meet the needs in the world and do that. Follow your bliss, and we will all change the world. Yeah, that kind of gives me goosebumps. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So before we super end the conversation and the recording, I wanted my listeners, there's all over the world, how can they find your book? Is it on Amazon? It's on Amazon any online bookseller, I believe. And it's also at liminalodyssey.com. And if you are in the United States, I can send you the book free of shipping and a little discount with the passcode alchemy. Um, outside of the United States, that it's not applicable, but you can definitely get it on Amazon. And, and if you like it, leave me a little, you know, comment. So what is your I email address so they can reach out to you? Sandy at liminal odyssey.com. 
L-I-M-I-N-A-L. It's a clunky word to say and spell liminal, but get used to it and start using it and thinking about it. Yeah. Good. And Sandy spelled S-A-N-D-E, not D-Y or D-I-E. It's S-A-N-D-E. Perfect. Thanks, Sandy, for your time today. Thank you. I had a great time. It's so good to be back with you. I mean, gosh, it's been, we discovered four years already. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I had a great time and goodbye. It was really fun. Thank you for listening to my podcast today. If you have any questions, email me at lua at leveluppbydocleland.com. Lua, L-U-A-B-Y-D-O-C-L-E-Y-L-A-N-D.com. It's open for consultations and courses will be offered soon. I will see you in my next episode. Stay connected, informed, and inspired. Until next time.